Nothing is more gay than this. Everyone's so gay. Everyone's so hot. There is absolutely something for everyone. Yep, that's a queer vibe. <laughs> she is gay. <laughs> Incredible. I'm like, this does not feel heterosexual at no. all. <laughs> this is a gay movie. Hello, and welcome to The Gaily Planet, a podcast where two queer nerds talk about media we love. I am Lark Malachi Gray. And I'm Jesse Blount. Happy Halloween, everyone! Our uh, most uh, beloved holiday is upon us. The most sacred holiday of Hashtag Ruthless is here. (laughs) It's uh, our, our... most major holiday of the year. There's got to be a word for that, but whatever. Um, yeah. yeah, I love that Halloween is on a Tuesday, you know? The the only good thing of Halloween <laughs> is on a Tuesday. <laughs> yes, is lining uh, up with our release schedule. Yes. Um, before we say what we're talking about today, I want to give a thank you to Alice for your donation. I We both really appreciate it. And yeah. Um, if you, the listener who is not Alice, are like, I want to hear my name on your podcast, leave us a donation through our website and you can have that. Yeah. Thank you so much, Alice, for, I guess, the tip. I don't know, like the little tip jar. And, and... Alice is OK. So actually, as someone who was going to come to our Rocky Horror live show and was like, I'm so sad that that couldn't happen, but I still want you to have that money. And so <laughs> sent it to us as a donation. Isn't that the nicest thing you've ever heard? Oh, that's so nice. Yes, thank you so much for your continued support. It is what literally runs this here podcast. Yep. It's not just ADHD hyperfocus. It's true. (laughs) Yep. Um, Yeah. All right. So what are we talking about, Jesse? Today, for this spooky Halloween episode, we are talking about iconic Doctor Who two-parter, Silence in the Library, and Forest of the Dead. And I did not write down what season or episode this is, so... It is season four, episode seven and eight? Yeah, or like five or six or something, so... Yeah, anyway, so, in these episodes, The Doctor, a time-traveling demigod, sorry, Time Lord, and Donna, his (laughs) human BFF, are summoned to the largest library in the universe. So big, it is an entire planet, with the largest hard drive ever at its core. The summons came from River Song, a sexy time-traveling archaeologist who is obviously the doctor's wife, only this is his first time meeting her. Life of a time traveler, am I right? (laughs) River's there with a team who are all trying to figure out why everyone mysteriously disappeared from the library 100 years ago. The answer? Vashta Narada, shadow creatures that strip flesh down to the bone in seconds. They're not in every shadow, but they could be in any shadow. The team get picked off one by one as the Vashta Narada get smarter and learn how to operate and communicate using the dead folks' spacesuits with their skellies still inside. Creepy! The Doctor tries to teleport Donna back to the TARDIS, but instead she gets uploaded to a dreamlike world that's held together by a kiddo who is somehow also connected to the library. Donna falls in love and has 2.5 kids in seconds flat, aided in her integration by Dr. Moon, the king of well-intentioned gaslighting. Turns out the kiddo, Cal is the computer processor, but is also an actual child, and she saved all the people the Vashta Narada were going to eat to her hard drive. She's been slowly losing her mind from the strain and has reached her tipping point, meaning the library is going to self-destruct. River sacrifices herself to save the day, and the doctor uploads her consciousness to a hard drive so that he won't technically have met his future wife and watched her die on the same day. Everyone gets rematerialized, and the Doctor and Donna head out, both with hearts a good deal heavier than they were when they arrived. And today's headline. This just in. Professor Riversong enjoys her retirement with a polycule in the Matrix. Hell yeah, she does. (laughs) All right. We are going to start things off with the front page, where we talk about everything that doesn't go anywhere else. Uh, I just want to say that... Donna completely calls what's happening within the first 10 minutes of this episode. She's just like, oh, it's in the books. The books is what made people disappear. And the doctor's like, no, it's not. 
JK it is. It's true. I love that moment between <laughs> them so much when they're both like, is it the books? And they like reach out to touch the book that's in front of them and then hear a noise from behind them. Like the, oh my God, we'll talk about the chemistry between David Tennant and Catherine Tate. But like, it's, uh, if you, the listener, don't watch Doctor Who and just watch this episode because we're talking about it, like, this is exactly what you get from them this season is like, they're not even together for most of it. And you're still like, oh, delicious. What good companions, you know? I know. Uh, my first note is that having ADHD is like having Dr. Moon in your head all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Right? I swear, like, I mean, obviously, because I watch this show so much, I, like, reference this to myself all the time. But, like, I feel like trying to eat lunch every day is, like, oh, I'm hungry. And literally, it's, like, the dude in my head is, like, and then you remembered. And then 45 minutes later, it's, like, and then you remembered. Because in between, (laughs) I forgot. (laughs) I've been trying to eat lunch for two and a half hours now. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. It is it is truly the struggle. Um yeah, something about these two episodes is very like I don't know, hashtag ADHD mood because I actually also have that the way that Donna is experiencing time when she's inside the li- the library database is like this is how my time blindness feels like. Where it's like, did that happen three hours ago? A year ago, a second ago, it literally all feels the same. I cannot differentiate those feelings about how time passes or what has happened. Or like, it'll be like, how did I get, why am I in this room? What was I literally just doing? Yeah, totally. (laughs) Oh my God. Also, the part where the doctor is like, real, I can't, fuck, what is he realizing? I don't know. But what he like hits himself in the head and is like, head's too full of stuff. I need a bigger head. And I was like, mood. <laughs> like 100%. Uh, yeah, it is, this is a very, this is a very ADHD relatable episode. Truly. <sighs> um, I don't remember if this is the beginning of the Sonic driver doesn't work on wood <laughs> running joke. <laughs> No. Okay. But I love that it comes up here because it's always, it's, it's never not funny. <laughs> I know. Okay. I love that we've talked about, two, like, it doesn't happen every episode, but we have talked about two Doctor Who episodes and it's come up in both of them. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <It's> so good. <laughs> so if, I feel like in that, I feel like it feels like it happens more often because I'm just like, didn't we literally just talk about this? And again, I'm like, we just did that like last month. That was earlier this year. <laughs> it was a while ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah i thought okay yeah i have a note about that oh because the doctor being extra bitchy to other dave is like it's a screwdriver it works in the dark and i'm like my dude your screwdriver doesn't work on wood like the primary thing you use a screwdriver on so maybe tone it down a <laughs> right, little bit like, it's like the one thing your your screwdriver actually fails to do <laughs> yeah is like right be a screwdriver so like fuck off be nice to other dave i love him mm-hmm. actually speaking of the day so my notes are chronological but since you brought this up i feel like i should bring it up is that the kate like the way that other dave talks like the cadence and like the the way that he speaks reminds me of frenchie so hard i have the same note <laughs> like, so much and for a minute, I'm like, wait, it's not just because they are attractive, light-skinned black dudes, but I'm like, no, the way that he is saying words is just like, oh my God. No, it's like, <laughs> yeah, it's the way that he delivers like, well, technically other Dave, because cause that's proper Dave, because he was here first. Like, it's exactly, it. yes, it's the same exact delivery. It's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Love that. Yeah. So in the beginning, when they're first at the library and are getting the message that was left, um, it's just like, this is a very scary episode. Obviously, I've watched it so many times now that I am not afraid at all, but I remember being very freaked out the first time I watched it. There are so many 
like there's so many different layers of creepy things happening in this episode in this like coherent episode it's like creepy children check institutional gaslighting check creepy things in the dark moving skeletons like weird faces on statues like just multiple levels of creepy are happening in these episodes yeah exactly right (laughs) not every shadow but any shadow like regardless of what's in the shadow that is a terrifying sentence you know right Um, but i love i i think there's something so delicious about like the statue is like message reads as follows oh they're here arg slog snick and you're like this is hilarious and also oh god (laughs) it's so oh it's such a good so good yeah i know um okay so this is my last thing in this section is and honestly i feel like i probably should have put this with like my river stuff i'll say it anyway so okay I'm going to try to give like a little bit more like context around things that I talk about just for folks who like maybe watched this once five years ago or whatever. Um, The expedition that River is there with is like the dude whose family owns the library and Mm -hmm. his helpers. I don't know. People who are qualified to be there an archaeologist. And then I don't know what like Anita and Dave and other Dave's jobs are. But and they've all had to sign basically like a NDA to be there and the doctor won't sign it but then he's like getting really mad at mr lux and he's like i don't want to see everyone dead because some idiot thinks his pride is more important and river like quietly from across the room is like then why don't you sign the contract and i was like yes (laughs) it's like like she comes in like this is everyone so this is the very first river song episode she the actress comes in so strong having just absolutely fucking nailed that character like from jump it's like out of control (laughs) yeah i mean right just uh, i know anyone who didn't immediately fall in love with her i'm like what i don't know i don't know how to relate to you like (laughs) so good i know uh speaking of river specifically in sounds of the library there's a moment where anita's like Okay, but for real, girl, are you sure about him? Because he does not seem like he trusts you at all. And, like, I don't know why, because look at you, but, like, what the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) And I just, I just really love that moment because I feel like Anita's like, okay, but for real. Yeah. (laughs) Like, off the record, like, not because I'm, like, a grad student and you're a professor or whatever, but, like, okay, this dude? Are you sure? Right. Yeah, it's really good. I don't, I don't know. The, I mean, the actress who plays Anita does, like, so well with, like, the amount of lines that she gets. I'm just like, mm, A++ acting. Yeah, and I super ship Anita and River in the weird afterlife. And especially, especially because, so, everyone in River's team is just, they're, like, in a white space suit, essentially. And then, at the, like, end when they're all also in the Matrix, because the doctor, you know gets to save everyone essentially anita's look is so queer <laughs> i'm like oh okay yeah I, I i see i see the like butch queen thing you have going on here because clearly you're in the matrix and everyone gets to envision their outfit and like you pick something gay as hell <laughs> yeah well do they get to envision because i i don't feel like river would wear that on purpose i guess i guess that's true but she just got there so maybe she hasn't had time to do that yet yeah Welcome to Community Profiles, where we talk about characters. I only have River and Donna here. Let's start with Donna, because I think there will be less to say than we have about River. That's fair. Literally, my first note is that Donna is both a good bro and a good person. Because, like, the relationship between her and the doctor is just, like, they're bros. Yeah. That's really the best word I can use (laughs) for, like, the sort of, like witty abrasive yet supportive relationship that they have that's like completely platonic you know yeah and yeah and again the chemistry between david Tennant and Catherine tate is out of control even like their friendship chemistry yeah is so good yeah for 
folks who are interested, if you follow Catherine Tay on TikTok, she posts a lot of sketch comedy shows. I don't know what show it's from where her and David Tennant are in various things together. And it's like very clear that this is just them, that this isn't something that they just manifested for this role, but that they just, they just vibe. Yeah really really well they're so funny together so it's great it's i really didn't like donna in my first couple watches i was like she's so like shouty she's so shouty it's just really a lot and then i had a friend be like okay try this out next time you do a full watch through skip donna's first episode her christmas episode the first time she shows up and then see how you feel about her. And it totally worked. Just like skipping her, because she yells so much in that episode. <laughs> and so just skipping that as her intro, my entire relationship to her just like metamorph, metamorphosed? Metamorphosed? <laughs> Who knows? I felt that makes sense to me. I, it's been a long time since I've seen that Christmas episode, but I feel like it's a little mid anyway. <laughs> It, it it has, you know, one of those very, um, seems like it came out of the 1990s Power Rangers TV show kind of bad guys. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's a little, a little goofy. It's pretty goofy. Yeah. And I think what's also interesting about Donna's character, which folks get in this episode where she's like sarcastic and witty and like mean in the fun way between friends to like the doctor and then 15 minutes into the episode, she's the only one being nice to Miss Evangelista. Because even though you could kind of imagine someone like Donna being like, uh, pretty girls, kind of like whatever. And, she, and you could just see her being like, well, this is fucked up. So I'm going to be the, the nice person here. And it's really lovely. And comes back to be a benefit to Donna and the songs in the library. But it's just a really good like sort of encapsulation of her character that there is just a lot of goodness and personal growth that she's like starting to show uh especially at this point in the season so i think it's a good reflection of just like the sort of character depth she has when you're kind of like at first glance you're just like oh i i kind of know what kind of character you are and then it's like oh actually your hidden depths are great agreed yes she's so she's so lovely with miss evangelista and i think that that is definitely one of her strengths is relating to people in that way yeah for sure uh which only makes her (laughs) the way that i feel like her observing like river's interaction with the doctor is so funny it's just it feels like even when her eyebrows aren't raised he's just kind of like oh okay i see how Uh it is (laughs) like can't wait to make fun of you forever about this by the way (laughs) yeah yeah i love that both so we see donna meet river here and then the next time we meet river is amy's first time meeting river and both of them like it's the doctor's first and second time meeting her but his you know companion in both cases like immediately is like so that's your wife huh he's like i don't fucking know stop talking to me and they're like well i know because this is incredibly obvious yeah i mean i feel like it's incredibly obvious to everyone but the doctor yeah totally (laughs) yeah so our lead into river this is a very natural segue yeah our lead into river her our first episode with her and the first time the doctor is meeting her as we learn. It's honestly, it's really honestly hilarious how long it takes the doctor to be like, wait, what is our relationship? And it's like, dude, isn't it very obvious? (laughs) (laughs) Like, I know you're a little emotionally stunted, but like River Song could have had one of those signs on a plane. That was like, by the way, we're married. We've definitely fucked. Just chill the fuck out, my dude. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <sighs> yeah, it's um, lovely. I think for folks who are listening to us talk about this and haven't watched the show at all, and you just like listening to us talk or you like watched it once or whatever, if you 
have read The Time Traveler's Wife. That is the inspiration for the Doctor and River's relationship. So that's like the vibe that's happening here in a very big way is like they meet out of order. It's constantly like, wait, you know, one or the other of them always has foreknowledge about what's about to happen. It's so well done, like just exquisitely done. Yeah. And the setup, I want to talk a little bit about the setup here where the even reason that the doctor and Donna even show up on this planet on this day is that River sends him a message via the psychic paper. Like she texts him, essentially. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Which is already like, you're the only person we know who has a sonic, the sonic paper. Like no alarm bells is to be like, why is someone texting me on my work phone? (laughs) No one one has this number. (laughs) Well, messages show up on it from, from time to time. Like if there's like a strong enough psychic call, it can show up on the paper. But yeah, I also really love the foreshadowing when she's talking to Anita and she's like, he looks at me and he looks right through me and it shouldn't kill me, but it does. And she knows we learn later, like all of his firsts are her last. Like she has always known that like his first time meeting her was going to be the day that she died. Whether she knows that fully or just like vaguely, I guess, because it seems like she's a little bit like, oh, you always knew when I was going to die. Yeah. But I feel like she really is being like, Anita, I'm going to die today. You know? <laughs> like, yeah. Um, yeah. It, it takes a minute for her to be like, where are we? Which one are you? And he's just like, we've never met. And it's like, well, I've met you. And we can talk about that in personals. Why? <laughs> yeah um yeah it's it's honestly still crushing like watching forest of the dead and her being like you literally always knew and like and like ten's face who's like known her for three hours is just like already so crushed and it's just like oh my god yeah but i guess he's also didn't realize that he was gonna get married at some point because like why else would she know his true actual name right slash b mr mrs i mean not that she would take his last name lol but you know what i mean (laughs) yeah no if anything he's mr song that's true (laughs) true. (laughs) (laughs) yep yep exactly yeah it's deeply it's deeply crushing it's just yeah meeting river here is like both mag absolutely magnetic and just so tragic (laughs) yeah yeah oh it's gorgeous it's mm. So good. I know. It's deeply satisfying. Welcome to the politics section where we talk about things that are fucked up. Um, can we talk about Mr. Lux slash the Lux family? Yes. I think Mr. Lux and his family are still shitty rich people who did oh, yeah. a deeply shitty thing. And even being like, oh, I was doing it all for Charlotte. It's like, Mm, that's some bullshit because you clearly did a lot of clear cutting to print every book in existence clearly at the same time and thus created this whole situation in the first place. Mm. Uh, And kind of like the way that rich people donate a bunch of their money for tax write-ups for philanthropy is like we built the giant, the biggest library in the, in the universe for everyone to use. And it's like, you didn't really build it for a like, galaxy wide good you built it so this your you know dying relative could like be entertained that just happened to be like oh and people can come and visit it whatever and clearly the intention wasn't to fuck up a lot of people's lives but the end result has is fucking up multiple ecosystems and also the lives of everyone who was eaten and or having to be saved in the hard drive of this library for a hundred years I literally never put together that the Vasha Narada hatching at the same time meant that the books were all printed at the same time. So I'm like processing. Do you really think that in whatever future date, they're still like harvesting paper by clear cutting forests? I mean, I guess. Because if the Vasha Narada are like, these are our forests and the doctor's like, oh, fuck, you guys hatched from the paper. Maybe it's not all 100% paper, like tree paper, but 
I guess to me, I'm just the only thing I could think of is like, okay, so if there's like a kajillion Vasna Narada here in in a more concentrated area than like ever before in history, it's like clearly this must have been a like you know grand opening of the library. We have a kajillion books that we have newly printed. Yeah, I mean, he does say specially printed, all new editions. Yeah. Like, what an environmental nightmare? <laughs> yeah, potentially. Yeah. That's kind of wild. And it's weird because it's like, they say that, like, you know, Charlotte has access to all these books digitally in, like, this giant hard drive. So, like, you didn't even need to print a bajillion books. Yeah. It's very, like, man's hubris or humanity's hubris kind of thing where I'm like, why, why did you do that? And now... Yeah. So that's my IRL data uh, implications of this. Because I was just like, this guy, my initial note was like, Mixer Luck is like that dude from Ocean Gate. <laughs> it's just rich, shitty, rich people just doing bullshit. And that's how he comes off. But I'm like, actually, at the heart of this, it's he's still not a good person. Yeah. No, that's such a good point. I'm like literally stuck on being like so upset at the idea that they would still be like using clear cut trees for paper and i'm like right. at least bamboo something like recycled material like it's yeah. the 51st century we can't no one had thought beyond paper from trees that you have to grow which i guess honestly given the world that we live in i'm like have a pretty low view of the humanity of rich people especially in the 51st century so yeah <laughs> I don't know this. Yeah, it just feels like the undercurrent and like environmental message of this is like, oh, yeah, no, you're super, super right. That's that's wild. Uh, Okay, we kind of talked already about Miss Evangelista, but she is one of my points here is just like how terrible it is the way that everyone treats her. Literally. Yeah. I mean, she dies because no one will listen to her when she tries to say that something is up, you know? Yeah. And it also feels kind of shitty for her. Cause so when she's in the matrix with Donna and she's like wearing a veil, it's like, I somehow I ended up here via science magic, essentially. And I think my, my NQ has increased, but like my face is, looks like a Picasso painting. And I'm like, Part of this is part of me is like this doesn't feel great in a way that I don't know how to articulate. <laughs> like that just seems shitty for her as a person, I guess. Where it's like at the beginning of this episode, it's like she's clearly aware that she's not as smart as these grad students, and it's terrible that they're all mean to her because of it, you know. And then for her to like be in this simulation where it's like, well, I feel like. Where I'm at intellectually is much higher, but like at the cost of my looks, which I can do nothing about because those are looks I was literally born with, you know? Yeah. Yeah. She says that the transcription error that, you know, made her face all melty or whatever is the reason that she can see the the glitch in the matrix, right? Mm. Um, she's like, I have the two qualities required to see absolute truth. I'm brilliant and unloved. And I was like, I I don't what yeah this feels weird right yeah <laughs> like especially for a female character I'm like this does not feel good in my body <laughs> or in my soul I'm like the thing about this is I guess it just feels really uncomfortable especially because you have all these characters who are hot and brilliant you know and like she's sort of the one being punished for her good looks I guess I don't know. It just feels gross. Yeah. And I think it's supposed to feel gross for the record. You know, I don't think it's something that the show is doing without knowing what it's doing. Yeah. Which is why such a big deal is made of like the importance of Donna being kind to her. Mm -hmm. And, you know, everyone sort of getting there, being forced to be faced with what, how they've treated her when she's ghosting and, you know, hearing that, it like genuinely hurt her a lot the way that they treated her. So yeah, I mean, I think, I think it is on purpose. I, I don't know totally what 
it means to be like, you have to be brilliant and unloved to be able to see absolute truth. I'm like, I, you, who wrote that line and what did you mean? Because I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, what that I guess, means. I guess maybe part of me is just like, what kind of, what kind of bullshit are you saying, Steve? You Hoffman? know what, like, though? What? Actually, sorry, I'm having a brain moment. So, a thing that I had to talk about later is like the setup of, you know, the utopia that Cal has created is basically exactly what a child would be this is what a kid would say is the perfect world, right? Like life for an adult is like you meet, you fall in love, you get married, you have kids done because when you're a kid in the society that we live in, that is what is given to you, right? This Mm -hmm. is what you should aspire to as an adult. And so if what Cal's basically algorithm is, is like you get these people in here, you find them, their perfect match, they fall in love They get married, they have kids. This is all done within like 25 seconds of them being uploaded. And the algorithm doesn't know what to do with Miss Evangelista because her transcription error makes it so that like she can't be fit into the program. Then maybe the unloved part is like here specifically because she can't be integrated into the system the way everyone else is. Oh shit, that's such a good point. Shit, yeah. Because, right, because her not living the same kind of fantasy life that Donna is in makes it much easier for her to be like, so we're in the Matrix. (laughs) Right. She doesn't have the two identical children or, you know, the dream partner or anything. Yeah. This, I think this actually moves nicely into one of my other points in this section, which is the ethics like the ethicalness of what the lux family has done to cal um so we learned at the end cal's like a real child consciousness hooked up to the matrix essentially slash is also in charge of running it somehow how whatever you want to say um but cal goes through it like she's having multiple breakdowns like literal like multiple conflicting realities like happening to her she's going through an emotional gauntlet and it's like was that right to this seems wrong this just seems not correct like maybe don't give i mean i was kind of like don't give computers feelings (laughs) but i'm kind of like it just seems like deeply unfair to cal's consciousness to have to go through what she is going through and even to have had to and like part of it is even like her compassion as a person to be like oh shit something is eating all of these is eating people in my library i have to save all of saved all of them lol and to like the detriment of my hard drive space and my consciousness which is a lot to put on a 12 year old 10 year old 10 probably 10 year old and and like why also her she's being monitored by a nut like norton antivirus that also has feelings and it's just like what the ethics of this seems deeply dubious yeah yeah i mean right i think that is why it's really important to plan for things that seem completely outlandish because sure you're like what will this look like she's just gonna be you know hanging out with her cool dad reading books for all eternity sounds lovely and you never like what if shadow monsters come try to eat everyone in the library like what then right because why would you but also you i think need to run a simulation of like but what if disaster like what is that what happens to the program then you know and when you don't do that terrible things can happen so yeah i mean i'm obviously also on the record as being very anti-immortality. So I'm like, is it ever moral to like grant someone immortality? I don't know. Even if it is like a a cozy, never having to age or know that you're immortal immortality, maybe just don't do that. It's actually, it's actually pretty funny that I think so many nerds, so many nerds, including myself, who was, I think gone on this, the show to be like, yeah, upload my conscience into the internet. Uh, <laughs> so many nerds are like, yeah, being hooked up to a, to like the biggest, to the library, you just have access to like all of the books ever. Hell yeah. And then 
this episode is like, mm, bad idea. <laughs> you don't want that. <laughs> and it's like, damn. <laughs> You're right, actually, Doctor Who. I don't want this. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, yeah, poor Cal. I hope that... The end of the episode is just like, and now everything is fine. And I'm like, I don't... I don't think it is. Maybe you should... Did anyone get Cal's consent to do this? Like, I know that she's 10. I mean, Cal programmed herself, like, she programmed herself to be, like, River's new kid. I think that she had a lot of say over, well, as much she is, she is, she's writing the Matrix, right? So, um, and as much as she had options, I think that she wrote herself her ideal existence. Probably it would have been better for her to have just been switched off, but... Um, the doctor needed somewhere to store his wife. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right, uh, we need to move on. But okay, so I feel like we should at least mention Lee's stutter and the sort of like all over the placeness of the way that the show handles it, because I do feel like it's sort of half played for laughs and half very not played for laughs. Yeah. And I'm kind of like, I don't know. What's how to feel about this? Yeah, I think it, it guess I feel it's another thing that doesn't sit right with me. Yeah. <laughs> um, because people sure do love being ableist about people who stutter. Yeah. In a way that is deeply frustrating. I mean, like all ableism is deeply frustrating, but yeah. I guess I feel like it would have been cool if it was slightly less jokey i suppose i think that there is something nice about the way that some of the ways that donna talks about it like the way that she's i don't know like the part where she's like skip to a vowel they're easier like that doesn't feel like she's making fun of him at all it feels like she's being like i'm not judging anything that's happening here to the point where i'm just being like light-hearted about it yeah and i like I do feel like there's something very compassionate in a lot of the ways that Donna specifically interacts with it, where she's just like, this is fine. Yeah. In an I'm not ignoring it way. I'm not like infantilizing you way where she's just like, this is just a part of you. And I'm just talking about it like it's a part of you, you know? Yeah. I guess I'm thinking more of the sort of the, not Donna's interaction with Lee, but the sort of in episode jokes about his stutter yeah and the sort of like gorgeous and can't speak a word thing i feel like that those it happens twice and i'm like that feels gross both times and then sort of everything else that happens doesn't necessarily feel gross which is why i'm like it's kind of half and half you know yeah yeah it's a it's a it's a mixed bag (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) uh i have when Donna learns that she's in the Matrix and she is so irritated because she's like, I've been dieting. And I'm like, you know, that's a reason just to not diet. Maybe we are in a terrible simulation. And so who gives a fuck? I literally have the same reaction where I'm like, don't diet. You might be in the Matrix. Just don't exactly. do it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Enjoy that meal you've been denying yourself because like, we could be in the Matrix. <laughs> right, exactly. Also, the world is ending, so like, get your joys while you can, everyone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Editorials, where we rant about stuff. Okay, my only issue, and maybe you can like talk me through this, with the introduction of River here is that I don't know why she wouldn't know the order of his regenerations. Interesting. Hmm. The only thing I can think of is that because there's a in-show assumption that River and the Doctor have had so many more adventures than even the episodes that we see, is that I, we don't really know how many generation regenerations of Doctor that she has met. We kind of do, though. Like, the thing is that because Capaldi was never supposed to happen, she doesn't have that pick. Like, when she meets him and they go to Derillium, like, her last interaction with the doctor before she goes to the library is with 12. And she, like, doesn't recognize him, right? She's like, this isn't one of your 
face is. She doesn't know it's the doctor. Everything else that happens is with Eleven, is with Matt Smith's doctor. Presumably, though, I mean, as we talked about in our last episode, like, clearly she has a threesome with David Tennant and Matt Smith that obviously they don't remember because when they're in the same place at the same time, they can't hold those memories. Yeah. But... Like, we see the crash of the Byzantium. That's one of the things that she specifically is like, have we done this yet? And it's Mm -hmm. like, well, no, because that was with Eleven. Like, clearly, if she knew that this doctor, that Tennant's doctor, came before Matt Smith's doctor, and she knew that that was the face he had when they did the crash of the Byzantium, then they couldn't have done that yet. Because, like, in his personal timeline, he hasn't had that face yet. Interesting. 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 Hmm. Okay. This is not something I've thought about before. So I'm going to bring up two sort of wild hypotheses. Okay. Size. C's. C's. Is, number one, maybe the way that River visually perceives the Doctor is not the way that we as the viewer perceive the Doctor. Where, because of television in real life, like, you know, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, like, very clearly distinct people. Mm-hmm. River herself, not quite, or maybe human plus, human extra. Um, so maybe the way that she perceives the doctor is maybe slightly less dependent on like the actual way that everyone else perceives his form, his body, whatever. Yeah. Um, the other solution is just maybe River has some kind of face blindness. <laughs> like that. <laughs> Or like one of those other like sort of cognitive things where you're just like, don't remember your face, but. (laughs) Yeah, she does spend get like really close and be like, judging by your face, this is early days. I think I mean, I think we're really just not supposed to think very hard about this. And that's also fine. I'm fine with that being the case. I think it would be easier if they hadn't then shown us on screen some of the things that she asks if they've done yet. Like, I think if she hadn't specifically said Crash of the Byzantium, have we done that yet? And then had us know canonically that that is the second time the Doctor meets her and she knows that that's the second time he meets her, I would have a much easier time being like, yeah, whatever. Mm -hmm. Whatever. It doesn't matter. I don't know. I think it's an interesting... I always love an interesting thought experiment. And, like, also a little bit of the idea that there's something still a little bit more perceivably alien about the Doctor. Because, like, you know, his companions as humans are seeing him as a human appearing being. But that doesn't necessarily mean that he is, you know. Interesting. I don't know. Cool alien shit. I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) Slash science is magic also, you know. Anyway. Um, my first thing is about the actual aesthetics of the library. Okay. Which, okay, they, this is filmed in a historic building of some kind somewhere. In the show, though, it really does then, for me, like, whoever built this must have had just a really big fetish for 20th century style libraries. Like you have hardwood floors, you have bust of old dead white dudes. You have all these columns, these like, you know, cathedral esque columns. It, it looks like a university library at an Ivy league built by money from, you know, Andrew Carnegie. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, So, so it is just funny to me that the library itself doesn't look super, futuristic it looks very like you know it'd be fun to have a like vintage looking library from the 20th century it's Mm -hmm. like all right okay i was wondering though you know we look out the window and there's a a whole city it's a whole world there could be every different kind of building style you can imagine we happen to be in one that's you know looks like a (laughs) you know uk library from now but there could be not just everywhere else on earth different vibes but also in the galaxy in the you know not they're loose with universe versus galaxy in this show but you know whatever there could be so many different kinds of styles that are taking place in different buildings i would like to think that that's the case 
Yeah, that actually would make sense, especially if you have, if you're uh, actually accommodating different species potential physical needs that aren't just bipedal humanoid. Right. I, okay, I accept this. <laughs> um, I think because this is a Halloween episode, we should just take a little minute to talk about how scary this episode is. This episode is just on multiple levels creepy and gutting i don't know it is this could very easily be a plot of a horror movie that you would like couldn't watch in the dark right i mean <laughs> really it's a great like i mean the doctor literally is like it's not it's not irrational to be afraid of the dark there are air piranhas waiting to strip the flesh from your bones in potentially any shadow not just here everywhere you're like that's so scary that's so scary. And they just, uh, every time, it happens multiple times that we're like looking at a spacesuit that a person should be in and suddenly just like a skull falls against oh the, the glass. And uh, it's like so good. It's just really scary. I mean, it, it's creepy. I don't know. I need to look at my own chart of things because it's not scary, scary, but it's like, more than spooky i think i put creepy as the the interim between those two it is it is very this episode is very creepy yeah especially yeah with this the skeletons and then when you have the vashta narada taking over space suits and they're sort of like zombie walking it's just oh and when it when it starts using proper dave's voice and it gets all like crackly and you know they're like figuring out how to work as a singular consciousness despite being millions and millions of individual things Ugh, it's really good true truly terrifying um thank thank goodness this is a family show uh because any even a littlest bit of cgi gore or grossness or visceralness would really push this episode these episodes <laughs> into like into a light oh i can't i can't even watch kind of territory yeah. yeah definitely there's definitely i haven't really watched the like since chibnall took over um episodes i think i've only ever watched them twice and some of them only once um but the scary ones of that were definitely i was like i can't watch more than one episode of the show in a day or i'll have nightmares you know and i'm like that's not that shouldn't be what we're doing here yeah yeah, and oh my god, the end, I guess, just like the cliffhanger end of the first episode of, of Silence in the Library, where we have all of these repeating things, right? Donna's actual face has shown up on a statue, and is just repeating, Donna Noble has left the library, Donna Noble has been saved, and then you have this like lurching spacesuit that's, it's so silly to just be going, hey, who turned off the lights? Like, that sounds like a a joke like something that would happen for comedy and yet so scary so stressful not none of that is yeah it's not funny it, it's yeah it's gen is genuinely so creepy yeah yeah this is such an excellent like halloween episode yeah so or halloween vibe episode i should yeah. say okay sorry speaking of things that i think we're supposed to be serious but i with a little reflection are actually funny is we have the doctor in the mainframe center of the thing and the Vashna Narada have kind of cornered him. And he's like, you could fight me or you could take three seconds to read my Wikipedia entry and then maybe think about it if you want to do that. And so his whole plan for the Vashna Narada not eating him is just to be like, did you, did you check did you check that section? The Yeah the whole oncoming storm section of my Wikipedia. And I'm just like, this is so silly. <laughs> I love it. I think it's so perfect because earlier in the episode when River is talking to, I think Anita about like her doctor, right? She's like, I've seen entire armies turn and run at the mention of his name. And it's like, you know, and the doctor's like, oh, please. And then this is sort of like the preamble to that where he's like, I'm the doctor, look me up. And this like swarm army, tiny army, army of tiny things is like, oh shit. Like, I'm not going to mess with you, you know? Mm -hmm. 
because yeah, that's sort of like building to like, what is the next incarnation? What is River's incarnation of the doctor like is the kind of self-confident oncoming storm that would be like, look at me. I have no weapons. I have no army. All I have is the fact that I'm the fucking doctor. Come at me. And Mm -hmm. they're like, no, actually, never mind. (laughs) (laughs) It, It is really it is really great. I I do think it's still funny, but actually, I guess then, because this happens a few times in this episode where River telling the doctor a thing is what makes the thing happen, like with him snapping the, his fingers to open the TARDIS. And I feel like this is one of those things because she, yeah, I don't know. It's just deeply satisfying sort of how many, how many doctor things we see have are seated here by river having seen them from a future incarnation of the doctor yeah Mm. deeply deeply satisfying i love it Uh. yeah so much okay the last thing that i have here that we haven't already talked about is that you know there's a lot that happens in this episode that's like big and emotional or like scary or whatever i cannot tell you how many times i have watched this episode right (laughs) Uh i have watched the part where lee gets rematerialized and sees donna and can't get her name out of his mouth one time and every time since then i have left the room today i was taking notes so i just plugged my ears and closed my eyes until it had been enough time it wrecks me like it is it is gutting it is just I can't, I cannot deal with the feelings that that part makes me have. No, it is, a lot of terrible things happen in this episode of People. I think this is honestly one of the worst things that happens, is that just, just split second, not, yeah, it's, it's just, the tragedy of it is almost like beyond words. And especially in context of Donna's overall arc, where her, arc is very tragic in the first place it's just extra gutting yeah it's just let don noble have things just just let her have let her have nice things i honestly i feel like for me it's that my empathy is more for lee in that where i'm like she gets to go away and be like he was fake right yeah he is gonna live the rest of his life displaced in time he's got no one left right all of these people they're a hundred years past everyone that they knew and loved oh yeah that's actually my next point but yeah so knowing uh, that donna was real and that like and he has no no way of figuring that out because yeah he's in the 51st century and she's not right and i right it just like crushes me to think about him having to like just always hold that knowledge that like Oh, she was actually real, and like we missed each other, and we'll never find each other again. I just hate it so much. Yeah, yeah. Again, so many upsetting things happen in this episode. Yeah, but especially right, all of the humans, all the people that have been in the library for a hundred years are now back in their their bodies in the real world. But yeah, it's a hundred years in the future, like. That is not great. Um, and I think it wouldn't, and I'm sure there's a, a decent number of those 4,000 people who are just like, I actually wish maybe I had been dead because now I've outlived my family. I don't have a home. Like, I don't know anyone. I've gone through this very weird experience where I have lived a separate life in, like, out of time and space. I don't know. It just. Everything everything about that seems, like, not great. <laughs> I know. I know. It's such a, like, everyone lives ending. And you're like, at what cost? <laughs> truly. Truly at what cost? Um, like, is, is, is this actually better to have left? Because I am, part of me is like, I don't know. For some, for some folks, I don't think so. <laughs> right. Totally. I mean, the people who were at the library with people that they liked... I think yeah. are probably going to be much better off than anyone who is there by themselves. Right. Right. Or if you had the sort of you're in matrix time was 
in a relationship with someone who you can then find out of those 4,000 people, unlikely. You know, though, maybe, because I feel like maybe once people start figuring out that, like, their person was real, then maybe they'll stop teleporting people away so rapidly and uh, be like, wait, everybody find your buddy. (laughs) Right! It does seem like Cal's algorithm was, like, very good at pairing people, you know? Way better than any dating app. Which kind of makes sense, considering part of the software of the library is you want to talk to a librarian here's a face that we've sort of psychically able to match that's like the face you're going to want to talk to which is already at a level of like wow (laughs) i don't know how that works but like that's pretty fucking cool (laughs) yeah so i i honestly think that that whatever algorithm that is is the one that was mat that was like matching people together in the matrix yeah that makes sense Man, this fucking episode. Yeah. Welcome to the personal section where we talk about sexy stuff. River just right off the bat, like in just hardcore flirting with the doctor is never not entertaining. (laughs) It's so good. And he's just like, what? (laughs) Which is already pretty funny because like, Ten is definitely the doctor who fucks. So I'm just like, I don't know why you're still kind of like, I guess the whole like people are in danger situation, but I don't know. (laughs) I mean, that never really stops him. I feel like, I think it's more the, this person who is like, we know each other, but you don't know that yet. I think that's really hard for him the last time Lord, but it's like, you know, by the end of, the episode when is it when she summons like the gravity well for them to get to the core we have him be like bet i like you and she's like oh you do you're like (laughs) all right dynamic established yeah and we can't we can't i can't not we can't not mention the fact when in uh forest of the dead when ten is like why do you have handcuffs (laughs) why am i handcuffed (laughs) and it's like I think if you, I know this is a a tense situation, but I think you can kind of figure out why River has handcuffs. (laughs) Right, right. And she's just like, spoilers. (laughs) Which she doesn't even need to say. I'm like, okay. (laughs) Oh, it's so good. Uh... Um, I was wondering, so he leaves her diary there, right? That's the whole story of their relationship, which clearly is going to end up in a museum or something. But I was like, the sex stuff in that diary has to be out of this world. Oh my god, like, yeah. So, so intense. I feel like she probably just like, kiss for kiss, like, not a single thing yeah. omitted in her recaps. Right. Because you're like, if you're having this out of out of sync romance you're gonna want your diary to be pretty detailed and you know as a scholar river is also gonna be trained to like you know how you take the good notes and so yes those things combined uh yeah the sex in that the the way that she the sex that she's writing about in that that journal is like i don't know i want to say like next level not safe for work (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh Yes. And folks, if you listen to our last Dr. Hugh episode when we're like, uh, River Toy had a three way with 10 and 11, this is why she at least knows his face, but he does not know her because yeah. he does not remember that time. But it's definitely in that, in that diary. Exactly. <laughs> she definitely does. <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know, good, good for, good for her. Seriously. Yes. Um, she had a lot of fun in her. Mm-hmm. I was going to say short life, but I actually don't think it's very short at all. This is her third re 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 third body. Yeah. At least third body, I guess. We don't actually know. Welcome to the health and science section where we talk about magic and science and research that we did. Okay. I want to know, speculate, obviously there's not an answer. How do the Vasja Narada control the lights? Oh, interesting. Um, That is a really good question. Maybe they could like short it out. But then I assume the ones that did that would die. But maybe 
But if there's so many of them, it might it might not matter. Yeah, they seem like they're kind of like bugs. And I feel like swarmy bugs often have a sort of, you know, a few of us die to protect the whole kind of uh, functionality. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely seems like, like they say piranhas in the show, but I I feel like when I was thinking about them, I was sort of imagining kind of like, yeah, like how maybe wasps or something. Or those ants in parts of Africa, but the ants that eat all of the things. Yeah. Those are so scary. <laughs> so scary. There are so many terrifying insects in the world. It's yeah. not even funny. And just briefly, the doctor mentions that the Vashnarada are everywhere across the galaxy. And so there is a minute when I'm like, maybe they're kind of like rats where just because, you know, you travel from place to place and sometimes you have stowaways when you do that. Um, then I was thinking more. And if, so right. So if they've been around and prevalent enough that say humans, though I do think that there are other reasons why humans in general have a fear of the dark. We can't see in the dark very well and there's all kinds of things that could harm us if you can't see what you're doing yeah um even a rogue table leg <laughs> right right you know you're you're a homo sapien you're walking around on two legs you fall over a root and like break your leg like that that could be the end you yeah. know in the dark hell no so i my hypothesis about the vashna narada is they i think they maybe travel via like space dust uh, the doctor says that you can see them during the daylight as dust motes. Um, and I'm like, maybe they can survive in the deep of space somehow. Um, and, or maybe hitch a ride somehow. Asteroids, comets, always hitting planets. I don't know. Maybe they just have been here since the creation of the universe and are just spreading because, right, miscellaneous, the way that miscellaneous stuff from space ends up on planets. I guess I assumed it was like... What's it called? The thing where nature loves making crabs. <laughs> like that they're just like evolutionarily good. And so it's just like they're not all like the same thing. It's just like every planet eventually evolution creates the Vashta Narada because they're mm. just good uh, at existing They're Once you make them, yeah. evolution's like, great, great job us. They're like, I don't know, viruses with teeth or something. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, basically. <laughs> uh, I love, also love this theory. Good talk. All right. In the interest of time, I do not think I will talk about Andrew Carnegie. Besides the fact that, unbeknownst to me, he did actually also fund the building of libraries in both Canada and the UK. <laughs> and when he was funding the building of libraries, they were all in like the 10s and 20s and 30s i think maybe up even till the 50s um so a lot of libraries built around that time look very much the same and a very classical vibe and he did it because he he was like i can't take this wealth with me so he's like give it all away um which doesn't absolve him from being like he was a steel billionaire like literal billionaire for if you convert the like amount of money he was making at like in 1910 to like 2024 money it's like he was a billionaire um and you only be a billionaire by exploiting the workers which he did yeah. so libraries are cool i mean he actually he did champion the public library versus libraries i guess pre like in the 1800s had like subscription fees hmm. and obviously that made it so if you were poor you could not use the library right so uh, which is why free libraries are important yep <laughs> Yeah. So my last thing is just some trivia uh, about specifically Sans in the library in that very few people were told who River was, including David Tennant. He had no fucking clue who River was when he was acting in Sounds in the library. So that's why. <laughs> and I, I was reading and I think, I guess he had, I guess David Tennant had said that he was playing it as if he was as if somehow river was like another one of his regenerations somehow even though he's like i know that's not how that would go because david Tennant, notoriously giant doctor who fan 
Um, and it just, it really just makes me laugh that they just didn't tell him. It's like, just go, go with it. Whatever, whatever vibe you want to have with so, River, we're here for it. That's so weird because obviously her whole thing was planned from jump. Was that yeah. just so that he wouldn't skew how the doctor would react to her? Honestly, it does feel a little bit like Steve Hope was trolling him, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> or like Russell T. Davis was trolling him. Because yeah, like yeah, like the actress who plays River Song, like she knew who she was, but he did not. And I just I just really think it's just funny to be like, however you want to play it. <laughs> I actually think that's kind of nice because it does it for him to be in the same position as the doctor is is gonna change how he relates to her. That's fun. I know. It's funny. It's also funny that I'm like, but you read the script. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. That just makes She me doesn't laugh. tell him her name until the next episode, though, right? So. Yeah. Yeah. Which, yes, again, presumably he figured. I guess I don't know how that, like, what the, like, filming schedule of that would have been. But it... And also, I feel like on TV, they often are like, you get your script just for the scene that you're going to film that day and the scenes aren't filmed sequentially too. So it's possible that they, he wasn't being given like, here's the entire <laughs> script for the next episode. You know, That is, that is very true. Uh, yeah. Which I don't know. It is very funny, but also just seems a little bit rude. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Agreed. <sighs> cool. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode. Happy Halloween. Um, someone just thanked me on Patreon today for in my newsletter being like, wear a fucking mask. There are immune compromised people in this world. So if you go out tonight, wear a fucking mask. There are immune compromised people in this world. Uh, we'll be back in two weeks with. Oh, no, go ahead. I was just going to say, not just at your uh, Halloween party and whatever, you know, other people events but all the time yeah okay thanks it's to still the grocery pandemic. store to the dog food store literally anytime you're around yep. people thank you yep. to your job to the political rally uh yeah uh wear your mask it's really fucking important okay thanks thank you um yeah we'll be back in two weeks with the resumption of our his dark material series with our first amber spyglass episode um between now and then check the show notes for all of the ways you can support us because this podcast is how i pay my bills and until next time love a little shop love a little shop (laughs) (laughs) the amount of time that i think about that line is all the time (laughs) all literally all of the time (laughs) anytime i'm somewhere and there's a little shop evan and i are like oh there's a little shop (laughs) exactly Every time. (laughs) 